Hello and welcome to Track Changes. My name is Paul Ford and here's my partner... Rich Ciotti. That's like a call-out. It could be like, oh, there's the signature call-out. Thanks for taking it, Meta Rich. Let's get going with today's podcast. Great. Okay, we've got a newsletter now. We've got a podcast. We're doing all this stuff, right? Marketing. Oh, my God. All right, so there's a lot of marketing, and it's kind of – it's great. I'm really happy to be writing a newsletter every day. That's actually really fun for me. But what I'm realizing is we're building a media platform. Whatever, Paul. I know. Okay. But there is stuff everywhere. The entire web has become an insane garbage heap of interlocking platforms that don't quite talk to each other. Yes. So when we published this podcast, I put it in this thing called Libsyn for Liberated Syndication. Is that what it stands for? I didn't know that. It's bad. And the forums on Libsyn look like something that goes into Microsoft Access that you'd run on a Windows 95 machine. Yeah, it's pretty dated. It's pretty dated, and like you fill out the data, and you don't know how it's going to look on iTunes, and it doesn't load in Overcast right away, and, so, and you cannot tell what's broken. Yeah. Then I publish. Every day I try to put our newsletter into Medium. Mm-hmm. Then I cut and paste it into MailChimp. Yes. And when I cut and paste it, the images always break. So I go in and I hand edit the HTML and make the pictures a certain width and make it all a little better. In MailChimp. In MailChimp. And then I send that out. And um, I think this might be where we've ended up. How do you mean? I mean that you're not supposed to build your own media anything anymore. You're supposed to use go where the audience is, yep. build distribution there. I'm going to build my mailing list in MailChimp. I'm going to use my medium audience. Yep. I'm going to use my Twitter account to promote all of that. And, and I'm going to syndicate all my podcasts out to all the different podcast yep. networks and let sort of everything trickle back in. I mean, that is marketing for us, essentially. It's marketing, but this is also how media platforms are supposed to work. Like any new media company is out there. They're like, okay, we're going to start on YouTube and then we'll eventually figure out where we're going to go. Right. It's all really broken. It's all really hard to use. And it's it's very disjointed. Yeah. And content can't help but trip on itself as it hops from these place to place. That's right. I think that's what happens. So what do you do? What do we do to fix that? Well, there are tools that are trying to solve this because they see an opening. Like what? Buffer is trying to do something right. like that. So and Buffer lets you post a tweet to Facebook or Twitter and schedule it, and that way you have this like steady trickle. And propagate it. So It's, it's all very of... Pavlovian. Though. It's like a dog getting a certain treat. Like, yeah. hey, we'll just feed your audience like the animal garbage that they are. Yeah. That's what I hate about it. It's like it's not actually about crafting experiences. It's about like let's schedule this so that the analytics are boosted. Well, you know, it's I think – the tension or the, the... I should point out I'm a very happy Buffer user. I'm enjoying it. I like Buffer, actually. It. Yeah, it's no. really cool. I hope you guys all like your little trickle of pellets out there in podcast land. <laughs> little snacks. <laughs> yeah. um, I think where we're at is people are working really hard so that marketing doesn't look like marketing. And it looks like genuine. I mean, you hit on it before because you just sort of roll your eyes and say, God, they're going to see through this. What, I, what bugs me is that nobody in – like no one will just accept it. Like this is marketing. I'm having fun doing it. I like writing my daily corporate newsletter. I'm not going to go do like a six-part investigation into why the venture capital industry is evil Yeah, because that would screw up my world. Right. I'm just not going to do it. Like, we want to deliver – I think this is what marketing is. Uh, that's a bad example because the venture capital. I would actually probably do that. Somebody wanted to pay me to go write about why the yeah. venture capital. Now look, you're you're a writer, right? Yeah, you're sometimes a pretty well known writer. And I think what we're trying to I th- here's what you're backing God, into. The venture capital industry is evil. Okay, I, I, what I'm backing into, sorry, is and I think what a lot of people are trying to back into is how do Those we people are rather than just put up a billboard with a new and improved. Yeah. 
above our name, we have to deliver value and latch our names to it. So I'm going to give you something of value, and then at the bottom, sort of coyly, I'm going to mention that we are Postlight and we sell services. That is, in, in many ways, how marketing is evolving. Now. I mean, I mean we, well, we, I think what, what you're saying, right? Like, it's all conversational. Everything's a conversation. Anyone yeah. can talk back at any moment. And so because it's all conversational, like that gets more conversation. Like it's just like, oh, okay. You're well, hoping that. It has right? to keep going. I'll give you an example. Something that happened to me. I was once paid to write some um, native content, like native advertising for GE. Little company, upstate New York. Not a lot of people have heard of them. Wow. General Electric. And okay, go okay. ahead. This is interesting. So for, it, was, it was via Medium. They paid handsomely. Okay. And I... I have a little policy. I always like to kiss the hoof. Okay. Everyone's like, oh my God, native advertising, it's ruining everything. And I'm like, okay, fine, maybe it is, but let's try it. Let's see what it's like. I'm going to okay. have just a little heroin, just a little bit, and see okay. if I like it. Yeah. So it's an interesting experience. I wrote about the future. It's like I, I wrote this sci fi piece about the future of cars, like cars forming an ad hoc network, okay. delivering things. Like, So I'm going to stop you for a second. Did they tell you what to write about? No. They said, write about the future. And, and okay. I actually so gave you some guardrails, very wide. Yeah. Write about the future. That's it? Pretty much. And at the top, it's going to say, GE, powering yeah, it was your like, home. Pretty much. Like, it was just brought to you by. Okay. And I, and actually, I just wanted that association. I put things that were kind of related to major GE endeavors mm -hmm. into the piece. And they were like, nah, take those out. Yeah. They didn't want any of it. See, here's what I struggle with around this kind of content. It's actually a lot cleaner than banner ad, classmates.com is in a box, and then your essay is below it, right? Fine. Ver so you, you know, number one, version one, common, more common. Version two is brought to you, this essay on the future is brought to you by GE. Here's what I struggle with, right? What I struggle with is that the agenda of the advertiser has seeped into and driven the content. And I don't know what to make of it. I, I've seen this for a long time in the very small print advertising section you see at the top of inside the Atlantic for like eight pages. And I, you didn't realize it was that. And then you saw the fine print. I have a thesis. Go. Okay. And so just to finish the thought, I mean, I want to know that when if I see a, a piece by Paul Ford, a, a writer I really respect and I really enjoy his writing, I need to know that it's an uncompromised piece of writing. What if it says sponsored by GE on the top? I think knowing that they gave you a homework assignment, and I don't know. Like you just explained to me the boundaries, which aren't bad, but I don't know. I say, look, look, Paul, here, I'm going to be GE for a second. Look, Paul, we've got a big plan. We're putting about $3 billion into... Uh, self-driving cars. Okay. And I need you to start the conversation here. And I need it to come under Paul Ford's name. So well, I'm not asking you to do anything. I just need you to write about self-driving cars and say it in your own words and tell your own story, but I'm just going to put GE up at the top because I need to start to create that correlation. I need to start to plant those seeds. The problem we have here as the reader is that you just explained to me the boundaries and they weren't bad. The truth is I don't know what those boundaries are. If I pick up the Paul Ford piece, I'm like, oh, shit. Ford's writing. Well, they always blur. But here's the thing that I observe. First of all, I don't think they... Very dangerous in my view. But they didn't particularly know who I, who I was. I think I, I was sort of put out there by... Yeah, but I know who you are. I'm okay. the reader. Fine. 
But what I, what I realized was going on, because I published it on Medium, I could see my own analytics for yep. how the piece did it. Performed pretty well. Yep. And what I realized was what might be going on is that your GE, you have a certain amount of money to just spend on stuff, social yep. media. You mm-hmm. have a Twitter account with a quarter million followers. Mm-hmm. You have a Tumblr account. Who knows why? Yep. You have a Facebook presence and so on. You actually need to use those to link to something. You can't just link to anything. You can't be like, hey, go check this out in the New York Times because the bottom of the, sure. the page might be like, uh, might pop up and be like Hudson Yards cleanup or Hudson River cleanup or whatever. Right. You like, have to control the content. You have to control it. It's very important. Yep. So there's this tremendous vacuum of content that corporations can actually sponsor. Fine. That has been created by social media. Fine. Right? I get their agenda, and I get why they do No, that. but people don't think about it that way. They think of it as an invading force into the media. I think what they basically are looking at is like, we need to fill up the gap that we've created over here, and the media as an industry, which is a tiny, tiny little – like the entire media industry is roughly yeah. the size of GE, right? So it's like right. – But whatever. look, at the same – I'm going to be reader who really respects and values Paul Ford. I just need to know Paul Ford hasn't whored himself out. Okay, but I when literally pour myself Ford, out every single day writing a newsletter look, for our Look, I company. do think this is – I know, but this is what I want to get to. Is This is something I need to come to terms with because I think in the net – it nets out pretty good. Like this podcast is not around because we have to feed our egos and – No, no. This is an opportunity for people to get to know us so that if they get into a room with us, they actually know what to expect. No, but also to market Postlight. But that's what I mean. That's like, why this exists. No, but that's what I mean. Like, I mean that's – this. That's, if you hear this – you're like, all right, well, I get what it's going to be like to actually work with these people. And it's in a way, I feel it's honest marketing that way. Like we're kind of – I think so too. We're trying not to cover that aspect of ourselves up because when somebody walks in the door, we're going to be kind of a pain in the ass about getting their work done. Well, I think you're jumping ahead here, Paul. I, yes, they're getting to know us a little bit. But more than anything else, you're just hoping that this just gets more and more popular and more and more people hear about Postlight. That would be nice. I'm not even thinking further than that. And that's fine. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Should we just end this podcast forever? Well, we could. No. No. Because we're doing good work. For who? For the listener. All right. For the listener. It's worth it. We need to help the listener more than we need I, to do I need better. To, I, need to, I need to come to terms with the fact that marketing today has evolved to a place where it's a little more subtle and a little more uh, obfuscated. And that's okay. Ah. Uh, well... Here's what I would argue is that – the last, last thing I would say on that is that I, I bring things a lot back to tools. I think tools have an enormous influence on what people are able to mm-hmm. do. The world of the big text box with a headline is the world of creative native advertising. Fair. The content that people are creating that everyone's like glomming onto, it's like – it's the forms that they already know that, that exist. Meanwhile, over here on the right – like. It, it also gets really tricky in stuff like Instagram, right? Where it's like, I have 4 million followers and I also really love this yogurt drink. Yeah. Right? And that's it, – it's so blurry and so messy in there. And I think part it of it – really – you know, I was just reading yesterday about this this woman who – With has, the tremendous abs. Oh, you read this too? Yeah. And she had to explain to her followers that the Dyson that she loves – was not sponsored by Dyson. She just really likes a certain vacuum cleaner. She just really likes it. You can't like a vacuum cleaner on Instagram anymore. No, you can't. Not unless, I mean... You could have 200 followers. Nobody cares. Yeah. If you have millions, you need to explain your vacuum affiliation. So, I mean, this is the thing, Rich, right? We've got these platforms that are all over the place. Yep. You make your media in a million different directions using a million different tools. Mm -hmm. And then you have these ad networks and ad products that are sort of like poured in from a bucket on top of all of it. 
sort of like a glaze of sorts. The all these platforms are like a big cinnamon bun, and then that white glaze that gives you oh, a stomach like ache Cinnabon. is just ad yeah. networks getting poured on that, top. That it's clay. The, it's the strong metaphor. I'm Sugar gonna, clay. Yeah. We, we know how to title this podcast. You know, I, <laughs> it's tricky, right? I'm going to keep uploading the podcast to Libsyn. I'm going to keep using Medium and MailChimp. There is letter. And I think everyone who wants to communicate out in the big world and build their own platform and build a voice, build a voice yep. is in the same bind. There's no magical product that's going to fix this just yet. No. Should we go build one? Oof. It's a lot, right? Gasp. And when we go talk to big media companies, that's not where they are either. Like no. everyone's in this boat together. They're not ready. There's yeah. no like magic future solution that everyone's going to converge unifying on unifying force no. unless it's just like oh we let facebook handle it all for us well or apple we may not get to decide that ourselves no <laughs> they're going to decide for us so maybe our cross-platform future just happens when facebook buys all the companies and says here's how you do it yes yay yay okay well i hope that <laughs> i hope that's something to look forward to cool Rich, there's a question. We encourage people to get in touch with us at contact at com and ask us any questions that they might have. We have one here from Andrew. Well, let's do it. Okay. Andrew has a kind of long question. I'm going to read it. Here's my question. I'm one of those insufferable 20-somethings that you talked about in episode two, so please forgive me if this is an easy fix. Did we say that? No, well, probably. We're kind of dicks. Right now, I'm marketing a product that's been proven by existing customers to reduce time on a tedious task by 98%, thus saving customers proverbial time and money. Unfortunately, because this is such an outrageous reduction, most people we talk to say it just doesn't work like that, or that's just not plausible, even with concrete statistics and case studies. What's the best way to cut through the clutter? Well, I just want to first off, when you're creating something that you think is disruptive, a certain level of delusion is really important. You just need to believe that you've got it. And this guy believes it. And so I, you know, credit to Andrew for just saying, hey. 98% better. Whatever it does. It's, yeah. He, All right, we have to come up with something concrete that it does so we can talk about it. It cuts your mortgage payments by 98%. What does it do in your head? What, what could you ever conceivably? It's a, you know, the, what do they call the produce drawer in the fridge? Yeah. That if you take the lemon out in a certain way, it just squeezes the juice out of it. Oh, my God. It's a self-boiling no, egg. A self-boiling egg. Thank okay, and you. everyone's It has a little like, button on it, and you just hit bloop, and it just boils. Okay, so there's a whole world out there going, I never want to self-boil my eggs. I like to boil my eggs yeah. on the stove in boiling water. Right. So some chefs and some people said, it just doesn't work like that, Andrew. Yeah. And he's just, he just feels pity for them because they it does. But at the same time, he's in the defensive position because they won't hit the button on the egg. Okay, we're almost making fun of Andrew at this point. So we shouldn't do that. Sorry, Andrew. Let's, let's answer his question. What's the best way to cut through the clutter? The best way to cut through the clutter is put it out and let the world fall in love. Just tell the story relentlessly yeah. and exhausting. No, like, actually, don't tell the story. Put it out put in the world out. and let it disrupt and let it do what you're saying it does. It's going to do, which is reduce a tedious task by 98%. If it's truly going to do that, it will work. It will take off and it will speak for itself. That's true. Eventually someone's going to be like, I'd actually rather just hit the button on the egg. Exactly. Every so often we create something that explodes because of its utility, immediately obvious utility, and it just takes care of itself. So stop pitching and just put it out in the world. Yep. 
And the next time someone who writes in with one of these, you kind of do have to tell us what it is. It would be helpful. Yeah. It's hard, hard to give specific I'm actually advice. curious about Andrew's invention. I know because there's – well, and also like what's – it's 98% better. Yeah. That's a lot. For it's what confidence I, and I think that's the right attitude to have. It frankly. is. It is. All right. Thank you, Andrew, for writing in. Please write more. Okay. Rich, I got a question. Let's hear it. Diederich writes, in a recent podcast, you basically said WordPress isn't a good platform to use for a presidential campaign website. What would be warning signs that the platform slash solution you choose was the wrong one, developed in-house or not? First of all, we really should clarify, like, WordPress is very powerful. And yes, we use it. Some of our clients use it. It was also, I think, a joke. Like, well, it's tricky for people. I don't think we can assume that people get our subtle content management humor shadings all yeah, the time. Our CMS stand-up yeah. routines exactly. aren't landing. So you got to understand, WordPress has been around for a while, and it, even its archest defenders will admit that internally it's a little bit of a hairball. It's been getting better. Yes. But it is a lot of code, and it's difficult to modify, and part of its success has meant that it has a lot of janky plugins that yeah. you know do things like SEO. Yeah, but you know what? Most of the time, it's probably the right call. In a lot of cases, people have bigger ambition and they want to conquer the world. But really, WordPress, some very, very big brands and platforms run on WordPress. So You know, the tricky thing for me, too, is it's really hard in our world because there's a lot of things... I like and don't like about WordPress, but we live in this very marketing-based technology culture. Yeah. So it's hard to talk about it critically as like this giant thing that runs 20% of the web, which it does. Like it's enormous. Yeah. But you say a word against it and everybody is like, no, no, wait a minute. Like you have to be either completely black or white on these things in which the public sphere, which is, isn't the case. It's yeah. crazy. And yeah. No one at WordPress is totally black and white on WordPress. Nobody in the media industry who uses it to host you know, sites that sure. have millions of users. It's another option. But there's this thing that happens in the public sphere where you're either a fan or you're a critic, and everyone gets really upset. Well, it's so just, just the human condition in a way. Exactly. I just sort of want to clarify that. Like, as I'm going to continue to make fun of and criticize WordPress until I die because it will still be here. Also, it got big enough. I mean, that's success yeah. in my mind. We make fun of Madonna. We make fun of a lot of huge It is a little phenomena. weird in our industry, right? Like I, I've, I know it's Matt Mullenweg. I, had, I ended up at a dinner Here with him. Here we go once. with the name dropping. No, I mean, I've never name dropped on this show so far. Right? It, it feels uncomfortable because when I make fun of that product, yes. I see a human being who has human feelings and is a human person across me, across okay. the table, right? Like what they have accomplished is very significant. Yes. I mean, it's an open source product. They're focused on an open web. They've yes. had some incredible entrepreneurial success. Right. But at the same time, it's just there's a part of me also that's like WordPress. Because because it's so successful. It's well, there's the, debt, right? It's old. It's not old as in rickety. It's old as in there's a lot's piled up. And, and it just has a lot of – you ever meet someone for the first time and they're 29 and you can just tell – there's a lot there. Right. There's a bad story or a couple of bad stories that have shaped that person. Sure. But they've got it. They've kind of pieced it together, and they're sort of carrying what they experienced in their lives. That's they, WordPress. That's right. <laughs> they have a lot of memories of going... How about we answer the guy's question instead of expounding on WordPress? Okay. All right. Let's do it. What would be warning signs that the platform solution you choose was the wrong one? 
Well, there's a couple things. Problem scaling is one. I think the number one warning sign that I see with any content management system is an over-reliance on caching in order to publish pages. I don't know if he's talking about publishing CMS necessarily. I think he's really asking a pretty broad question here. What would be the warning signs that the platform slash solution you choose was the wrong one? Yeah. I mean, this is almost metaphysical, this question. Well, no, let's start at the very basics. I mean, the first, the first warning sign is you can't access it or it breaks a lot. Sure. That's an actual warning sign that many people, many people ignore. Yeah. You're trying to put content in and it keeps giving you, you know, various errors. But when you refresh the page, the... Yeah. You're narrowing on content again, but... but no, ahead. no, but, that's, but you have to put stuff into a platform as yes. a user, as yes. an editor. Is it busting on you early days? Is it busting? Yeah. Or even at, at any kind of scale. Let's say there's 50,000 users and like you keep getting these bug reports. Yeah. That's a sign that the platform is the wrong one. Yep. That it's not scaling or you haven't put it together properly. I'd add a second bullet. A warning sign to me is if you've imposed it on the team. If the team is pumped and excited about the platform that they want you to get behind and they want to commit to, it's a whole other game. If you force a platform on a team, they may be able to do it. The team is all pro Python and you tell them, guys, we're going Java and you're going to force that on them. And they're capable uh the, the energy and momentum and passion behind a team that gets to decide the tools that are going to take you there is a very big deal. Well, and also they commit, right? I it mean, this is a very big deal. The tricky thing with our industry well, is... Well, they're going to prove themselves right and you wrong if they tell you, look, we're going to make this successful on React. Leave us alone. And you trust that team and they're talented. And, you know, that's a big, a big warning sign to me is if you force a decision on a team. Oh, how many people do we know? How many corporate environments have we been connected to where they force a decision on the team and it's bad it's always the case though I and mean, that's the that's the default the yeah. default is you talk to an engineer who's like yeah i gotta get out of here they forced me to use x Blah. and yeah. x could actually be python yep. x could be yep. the thing that is theoretically sexy i think that's a big warning sign but they haven't been able to take ownership of it and all of these platforms all of these solutions all these frameworks have really significant wards and the only way that you get if you ship they all any, do yeah no i mean they all right. they're all broken in their own way yeah. and they all represent compromises and good engineers it's not just that they work around them they factor that in their thinking well they defend them yeah, like they defend them. They will say, "Well, you know, that's not a big deal. We'll get past that." Yeah, that's exactly right. right. Cool. Thank you, Diederich. Diederich, for a great question. Great question, but a, it's a broad question, right? It's a hard one to answer. Very hard one yeah. to answer. We yeah. could spend a whole hour on it. All right, Rich. You know, there's something we should talk about. We talk too much about ourselves and our own opinions on this show. We don't talk about the team that we've built, and we don't talk about the people who work with us. We don't. Well, you. It's it's your fault. Really, mostly. It is, actually. Well, I'm here. I'm a co-founder of, you know. Well, we're just trying. We're getting this Acme started. Inc., and I'm here with my co-founder. We're building our media platform. But hold on a minute. Okay. There are 35 people back, well, actually scattered around America and Canada and yes. also in New York City who work at Postlight. That's true. For the most part, they're very nice people, very smart. They tend to be engineers, product managers. Designers. And designers. We also have some uh, head of HR and uh, people who support the organization. Rounds out a company. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about them more often in the work they're doing. We really should. You know, the people make the place. I mean, we don't make a really great expensive sweatshirt. 
That's not what makes the place. No, that's true. All we, we are have. about people. It's it's actually right? it's interesting. You know, one of the things I've been learning since we started this, I never spent a ton of time looking at P and L statements, profit and loss. Yeah, and I never thought a lot about the actual economics of running an agency and all of our costs, like. 95% of our costs human. are human. Like we throw nice parties for people and we do, we try to get everybody a good laptop and we have an okay office in New York city. Yeah. None of that touches the cost of the human beings because that's really all we are. That's all we are. And that's, you know, you know, you said agency, but the truth is if you skew towards, you know, tech startups or young app companies or whatever, it's mostly people also. <laughs> like company like Medium, I mean, they've got server costs and stuff, but it's mostly people. I mean, what they create is not, there is no warehouse with inventory. It is humans that make Medium what it is or make Square what it is. You know, that's where the bet has gone is on those people. Well, uh, the, technology, agencies. the technology gets cheaper and cheaper. It's actually, I mean, yeah. It's hard to spend money unless you're developing hardware. Yeah. Like I think Google has to spend a lot of money on self-driving cars, right? Like that's – got to build cars and drive them around and make – Well, they have things. their warehouses too right? where they have their servers and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, Intel. Like there's a certain scale. But yeah. for the rest of us who are making sites for merely 10 million people – we write code. We write code, and it goes on some cloud server, and it's just like I mean, those costs are down in the dollars now. Yep. Yeah. AWS and GitHub and the few other services that we use to sort of do everything are no, are nominal in terms of the if you cut up the pie in terms of what it costs, even for us and for a software company. All right. So, what's the secret to running a successful software company? In one sentence. Can I have two sentences? Yeah, maybe. Have a clear mission and get great people. Oh, that is one sentence. Yeah, there's a, it's a compound sentence. It's a compound sentence. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've been learning since we started this thing is I was very anxious. I've run teams and I've run projects before, but I've never managed a company or been a co-founder. So I wasn't sure how that was going to go. I just had no real clue. I was trusting it's that. something, isn't it? Yeah, it is something. It really is. Like there's, There was a lot to learn. What I've learned, there's two things. One is... I don't really get to be the boss. No. I don't get to I don't get to say do this and it happens. It's amazing how human beings will find reasons to not do things if you do that. If someone is not believing in what you've asked them to do. I I, I don't know every industry, right? I think look, somewhere where they're making those sweatshirts. I'm thinking about sweatshirts by the way because there's this sweatshirt that is very expensive and has like a 10 month wait. You heard it. You know about this sweatshirt? Yeah, I see this. It's in the chum boxes on the bottom of, of web pages where they're like, you won't believe what, how long the wait is for this sweatshirt. I think that's their marketing plan is that you have to wait a long time. Anyway, the people that are in those factories making that sweatshirt don't have to believe in the sweatshirt, right? They're going to make the sweatshirt. Yeah. She may say to herself or he may say to himself, wow, that is an awful color. <laughs> that is sad that somebody's going to wear that. I think that. a lot about this as a... As a but they're going to make that sweatshirt. In I, our in, in I know. Our I'm, a, world, I'm a big guy, and I think constantly about the people who are making my giant man clothes, <laughs> who are like, you know, probably like, what the hell is wrong with America yeah, every time? Yeah. Or they're thinking, I can't wait to go and buy a moped. That's really what But you know what? Thinking. They're making it. In our world, I think, you know, there's such a care about what they produce 
and craft behind it. And it's a tension for us as an agency because we, we're young, so we can't just yet truly cherry pick the work that we think is going to be most satisfying and most interesting and challenging for people just yet. We want to get there, obviously, where we're turning away people who are like, ah, it's not really for us. We've done that actually a couple of times. We've already done that. But in general, it's not, and it's not like we're sitting there going, oh, we're going to take this. It's more like, okay, we need to do a good job here. We need to get everyone bought in. Yeah. But we don't have, because we're new, we don't have full control over like how we're going to structure the engagement. Not yet. Not it, we're just too. We just we're brand. New. We're building this place and building the brand and building a reputation. So, and that's that's a source of anxiety for you and me because we know how important it is for the people to feel good about what they're about to get on. I can't run into the room and be like, "Okay, everyone, get excited about WordPress." I don't think it's even just platform. It could, be, yeah, that's true. I mean, that is true. We're not a WordPress shop. That yeah. is reality, right? We want to go deeper. We want to go more challenging and, and harder than that. Um, and again, I feel like we keep WordPress is the enemy of this show. It's not but. the enemy of the show. It's the it's the dominant platform on the web, and we react to it every day. Right. You and I react every single day to WordPress. There's not a day that goes by in my life where someone. It's one doesn't of our say. big competitors. Interestingly, it is, and it's, there's not a day whenever we go talk to a client. This is what they say: We have custom over here, and we have this over here, and we did those five sites in WordPress. Just about and, every time. And then they say, okay, can you help us get to one consolidated platform? And then they say, should it be WordPress or should it be something else? Right. So it's hard to articulate, right? So I think people see it as a kind of enmity when we talk about it, but it, it actually is just fundamental. It's like yes. talking about HTML at this point. Yeah, it is fundamental. So, so yeah, Postlight's awesome. We're okay. We're the best. The people make the place, truly. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, yeah, we're we're okay. We're kind of stumbling along. But that's been the... When we say we, I mean you and me. You and me. me. Yeah. The, the people are very solid. There are, there are just gems that I'm working yes. with. And what I'm finding, though, is that it, it has been an education for me to realize that simply saying something is not actually management. No. I had that in my head. Like, at this level, Not every in this day, world. Not in this world. No. And in fact, it's it's much more about listening. It's much more about what do you think and then slowly internalizing. And honestly, trying to get people to be as empowered as possible to just talk to the client, do the right thing, make the right technical decision, giving them back up, talking to the client uh, on their behalf and making sure they're, they have coverage. Yeah. It's a big part of it. Like like adding value where I can, where I know something, but not pretending to be the smartest person. Well, you're not. I'm not. I mean, it's clear. It's become clear over the last it's few months. Ex- exceedingly clear. <laughs> <sighs> well, look, I have a lot left to learn. This is the best thing I've ever done. Like professionally and personally, this is the most engaged I've ever been in my life. I mean, it's it's a tornado, right? It is a little bit of a tornado, but you know, it's great to be around great people and I don't mean that as in like, eh, let's round of applause. I actually need to be around people that are going to challenge and, you know, really do think about interesting things and talk about interesting paths. That's a big deal for me personally. And that's the price, you know, the price you pay is that there's a lot of anxiety and, and difficulty around building businesses, but it's worth it. It's true. I mean, I don't think people, if they think about the role that we have, they don't know that like, our engineers and designers and, and product managers look us in the eye and go, I think you are wrong. Like, that's, <laughs> well, yeah. that's a very normal interaction. Totally. That might happen 
many times a week. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's the joy of leadership. Yeah. By the way, if you're awesome and you're a product manager, designer, or engineer, and you want to come about tell me Postlight, that I'm an idiot, you come tell me I'm an idiot. Let us know. Reach <laughs> we'll, out. At we'll, we'll contact at Postlight. Although we may also have feedback in return. <laughs> yes. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Seriously, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I give it. I'd give it a. Five out of five stars on iTunes is what, what I would give. That's it. what I'm going to go do right now. Yeah, because I'm not a selfish, bad person. I'm a generous, loving person, and you are. I rate podcasts highly on iTunes. Love yourself. Yes, ah, that's part of it. Richiade. This has been fun. I'm Paul Ford. This is Track Changes. See you next week. Bye.